All right, this morning I want to talk to you about rest. I got the idea a couple of weeks ago. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, my wife and I and Sarah are going to the States, not for a week, not for a month, but for nine months. Now, it all works out that way because when, when, when we've gone back uh, in the past, we've gone to report to the churches that financially support us. We do everything here for free, but it costs money. So there, there are about uh, 50 churches, varying amounts, support us financially and prayerfully to keep us here. Um, and we've been here 22 years. So back in 2009, we went and saw about half of them. And in 2012, we saw the other half. But we haven't had a rest. And it's very important to have a rest. So we're going to have a rest. We're going to take Sarah, drop her off uh, in, in sunny Florida at a Bible college. We're going to see family, and we're going to take some time just to rest. And it's recharging, and it's retooling, learning some new ways, new things, uh, just of, of, you know, when you get older, you gotta, you gotta, gotta learn how to put up with the aches and creaks and pains and things. You adapt. Well, I want to just sit and be preached to and learn, uh, and, uh, let God speak to me. So, uh, I want to preach on rest this morning. And if you would go to Mark chapter four, uh, and finding rest, because it's not just something I need, it's something everybody needs. In Mark chapter four, where we're going to go, I want to tell you and remind you and hopefully help you to know that there is a rest for the people of God. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, in in chapter 4, you'll find Jesus, as he usually did, teaching. Mark chapter 4, and I pray that you listen to him teach us in ways that maybe you haven't realized. He teaches usually without words. Now, verse 1, it says, He began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship. He sat on the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. Parables are lessons that you use, objects like corn, or you use uh, objects like... uh, trees or, or weeds or things. And he taught them by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, he went on, he taught several parables. Look down to verse 33. And with many such parables spake he the word, the word of God unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So he taught generally to everybody certain things. But he explained things to those who stuck around and said, what about this situation? So on and so forth. Now, Jesus was doing what he normally did. And by the way, there is always a need for doing doing something. I mean, there's always dishes to wash. There's always grass to, to mow. There's always oil to change in the car. There's always kids to get ready for bed. There's always everything that needs to get done. Well, that's true in the spiritual world as well. People need to be taught. A lot of people don't know what you what you take for granted, picking up the Bible. A lot of people never heard what we're about to learn this morning. So Jesus is taking time to teach them. Uh, and he taught all day. Now, often, he and his disciples get so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. 
and uh, it was just there was a job to do, and they were going to do it. So that's what he did. Now, in verse 35, still in chapter 4, verse 35, in the same day when the even was come, the sun is setting, he saith unto them, let's go to sleep. That's not what he said, is it? Now, I guarantee you, they are worn out. As a matter of fact, they complain often to Jesus. They say, Lord, we're tired, we're hungry, send everybody away. But look what Jesus says. It's the end of a long day. He says, hey, let us pass over unto the other side. Now, that was no easy task. They were on the edge of what was called the Sea of Galilee. It was a a 20-kilometer by 12-kilometer lake and they needed to cross over it almost 10 miles. They were going to diagonally traverse, go down, because there was somebody else that needed Jesus. There was another task to do. So as soon as you finish one thing, guess what? There's something else to do. This man that he needed to reach, if you remember, was a man who was in the worst of ways. He was a demon-possessed man who had over 2,000 demons in him had him locked up in a cave, crying constantly, wailing, cutting himself, seeking to die. Couldn't be around people. People tried to control him, never could. Jesus said, i got to go help him. I'm glad for the commitment of our Lord to go. So there was a trip that needed to be taken. But on the trip there was a storm, verse 36. And as they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. So they're going to start rowing. They're going to start setting sails. He took him, as, took him as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Get the picture that, that um, they're going to travel, but they all can't fit into one boat. These are not big sailing vessels. These are small fishing boats that normally you take out a couple of hundred meters out into the water, and then you come back with your fish. But Jesus says, we've got to get to the other side. So they all pack into one boat and there's not enough room. So they get some other guys into some other. And he uses the term little ships. So they're all in what size ships? Bathtub size ships. I'm using an exaggeration, but they're not ready for a storm. 37. And there arose a great storm. When the Bible uses the word great, it just means massive, huge a great, violent storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Full of what? Full of what? Water. All right? It's okay for the ship to be in water. It is not okay for the water to be in the ship. So the ship is obviously in danger. It is sinking. Um, all the men in those boats, they're bailing, you know, a bailing. They're, they're scooping up the water as fast as they're flowing into, the, into, the, into the, the Sea of Galilee. It's flowing right back in. They're fighting a losing battle. It looks like they're not going to make it. Well, the worst thing of it all, the worst thing of it all, was in the middle of that storm, no, I mean, there's one thing, folks. We live in a day... And I was noticing last night, well, we have street lights everywhere. We have lights on our vehicles. We have lights in our homes. They have no lights. So they're in a storm. The wind is blowing, and they can't tell where the coastline. Normally, you're sailing along, and you can see fires and, and, and homes lit on the other side, and you aim towards, well, that's, that's, that's the town we're going towards. But there was no way to tell where they were, how far they were, where they're going to die and crash and, in the rocks. And so in the middle of that storm... Anybody know what Jesus was doing? Look in verse 38. Now, just 
there is some amazing things here. And he was in the hinder part of the ship. And today was the very first time. This morning I'm reviewing it and I kept thinking, hinder, hinder, so what? But I finally found out what hinder means. It means the front part of the ship. Now you old folks, you may know what a hinder part of a ship is. I'm not a fisherman. I don't know what a hinder is from a kinder chocolate. I don't know. Anyway, but I want you to see, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. I wish you would just visualize this. Because there they were, they are struggling, holding on for dear life. And this is not even a very good picture because what's missing in the ship? Water. <laughs> this thing should be full of water. Jesus should be floating on the water. But he's asleep. And if there's, there's one place that I think would probably be the worst place to try to sleep would be the front of a ship. How many have ever, ever ridden on a roller coaster? Let me see your hands. You're all nuts. So one of the few times that I've ever been drugged and hypnotized into getting onto a roller coaster, I got on in a place in Dallas, Texas, and what did my friends, inverted commas, decide to do? They pushed me up to the front car of the roller coaster. Did you know I found out that is the worst car <laughs> to ride if you don't like roller coasters? I was in the hinder part of the roller coaster. And I, somebody, you know, uh, it's okay to scream. It is not okay to scream like a girl. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> my friends are raising their hands and everything. I am not having a holy moment. <laughs> I'm in the hinder part of that, that thing. It is the most crazy, most, your head and your body is being thrown around. And there's Jesus asleep. Do you ever stop and think about how nutty that is? Um, I I, I saw the pillow in the scriptures and I thought, he's actually comfortable. There's sometimes Jesus said, you know, the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. There were times he slept on rocks or flat out on the the ground or on the floor or on somebody's house or whatever. But here, in the ship, that thinking, he pulls the pillow up to him (laughs) and squishes up next to it and just sleeps. It's got to be Now, every word of God is in there for a reason, isn't it? This is not a wasted word. This is not just thrown in there. Oh, and by the way, he slept on a pillow. No, no. He is being revealed for for what kind of rest he has. Now, I love a storm. Matter of fact, you know, I love when storms come. I love opening the windows. I want to sleep up in the attic. I want to hear the pelting of the rain. I want to hear the wind. I want to hear the sleet and the hail because I'm inside. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just uh, uh, lightning and thunder inside, looking out the window, okay? But they're in the middle of it all. And I can imagine Peter's just, just beside himself. How can you sleep? He actually asks that. Still there in Mark chapter 4, and it says, um, uh, verse 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him. Does a storm wake him up? No, I'm, I'm sure many a storm has awakened you, just like it has me, you know, a noise downstairs or whatever, but you couldn't wake him up. He was sound asleep. And they, so they wake him up and they say unto him, Master, I like this, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care that we're dying? 
Now that's the normal words of the normal person looking at God saying, don't you care about what's going on here on earth? Don't you care about what my life is like? Don't you care what I'm having to put up with? And we think that because God's at rest, that he doesn't care. Let me tell you, you got to learn about rest and that God does care. So anyway, uh, he's a powerful Savior. Look at verse 39. So Jesus, he arose, and what did he do? He rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, three words, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. I could just, I mean, he got up on the front of that thing, and the whole boat went forward, and it looks like it's going to go into the water for the last time, and he says, Peace, be still. And I mean, like, like nothing that we've ever experienced. We could only dream about just the entire environment of, of wind and, and, and uh, fear and, and disaster and doom. Just went... And there was not a movement. There was not a, there was not a breath of wind. Now look at verse, 30, verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Let me come to that in just a second, but... Yeah, let me, let me say again, you may not realize it, but Jesus is Lord. Now, when he was in the pillow, he was Lord. Even though he wasn't doing anything, he was in control, wasn't he? Even though he wasn't fixing things, he was still in charge. So, when Jesus put them into the boat and they got into that storm, did Jesus know what they were going into? Yes, and yet he sent them anyway. And in the middle of that storm... He is pushed and he's, he's made to get up and fix it, isn't he? And thankfully he does. But he doesn't always. I want you to understand. We have a powerful Savior who is Lord and he can fix anything. He is the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of the stars, the moon, the planets, the galaxies. And he is the Lord of the storm in your life. Even though he may not be stepping on the bow and fixing things. I can guarantee you he does this to prove that he can calm any storm as he proves here. All he has to do is speak. Jesus doesn't have to appear in your bedroom to bring things calm. He doesn't have to strike lightning from heaven to fix your situation. All he has to do is speak and it's done. Amen? But the truth is he doesn't usually fix our storms. This is not how he is going to always act and react. Instead, he gives us a pillow. Did you get what I just said? In the middle of the storm, he says, I'm not going to fix the storm. I'm going to give you a pillow. Take a nap. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us this morning to learn about finding rest. And that you help us to not just find it, but experience it. We need you. Uh, the storms around us every, every day. The news is frothing at the mouth in order to have another extreme example of disaster to throw in our face. We need rest. We need to be able to claim that the Lord of heaven and earth is our Lord, is our friend. And instead of us seeking for you to fix everything in our life, May we yearn for the pillow, yearn for the ability to be able to rest in the midst 
of the storm. And that will only come if we have a relationship with the Lord of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, he, there, are, there are a couple of serious questions that Jesus asks in verse 40. He goes right to the point and he said unto them, Why are ye so what? Now I think that's a dumb question. To be honest, from the flesh I go, What do you mean, why am I so afraid? We were going to die. I was hip deep in water. The ship was sinking. Everything was wrong. There was no hope, no ship, no helicopter. And you say, why am I afraid? But he asked that. Why are you so fearful? Hmm. You know what Jesus is asking? Why are you even afraid of dying? You know the difference in a Christian, an unsaved person? We're not afraid of dying anymore. You see, I don't want to kill anybody. I know people are going to die. I got my destiny fixed 36 years ago. I'm not afraid of dying. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of death. Jesus says, why are you so fearful of dying? Hmm. I believe it is a sin to stay afraid of something or someone. I think it is a sin to stay afraid. Now, you may be afraid. You may be afraid of heights. Never forget when Joshua, our son Joshua, we went to Grand Canyon, and I'm just awed. And I just, I just walk right onto the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's a mile and some down to the edge there. And Joshua's about 4,000 meters back behind me going, Dad, get away! <laughs> He's afraid of heights. I didn't know he was that scared until we went over there. I said, come on over here. He wouldn't come. I think when you face a fear, now, you know, some things are healthy, but when you face a fear, it's a sin to stay afraid if you're saved. Because the devil will play on that fear all your life. It is right and vital that we get concerned about things. You're supposed to be concerned about your family, concerned about your kids, concerned about your health, but do not live in fear of it. He asks, secondly, he says, what happened to your faith? How is it that you have no faith anymore? You know what they said? It's back on the shore. <laughs> Our faith is constantly tested. Dan and Andrew and I and some others went climbing at Eric's birthday. Eric, your birthday was one unusual birthday experience. He says, we're going wall climbing. I was waiting to, he invited Celine. I was waiting for Celine to strap on the, the, everything and go up these 20 some odd foot walls. So anyway, we're going up there and the instructor says to Dan, I think you were up first. Did you go up there first? And we're watching. So Dan climbs up there, and he's all the way up to the top. He's 20-some-odd feet up in the air. And the guy says, all right, let go. Now, if I had a gun, I would have shot him for you. <laughs> let go. He says, yeah. Now, he's harnessed onto this rope. And what happens is there is a pulley system that when you push off and it detects that you're falling, it, it drops you down like a baby. Now, I watched Dan, and Dan does that. I went, well, that looks easy. So up I go. And the instructor says, let go. And I went. And I learned in an instant, it's very hard to live by faith and to just let go and trust this rope that you're not going to die. Jesus says, why is so afraid? And I looked down, and I said, because I don't want to die. These disciples were no ordinary men. They were the apostles of Christ. They should have had great faith. But for them, it was back 
when there was no problems, no troubles, they had their faith. But now it was being tested. There are a couple of unspoken requests, uh, unspoken questions as well. He says, do you realize who's with you? Do you realize who was with you in the ship? He's standing there. He doesn't ask it, but it's an obvious question. I'm here. The ship's not going to go down with me in it. Amen? He also asks, weren't you doing just what I told you to do? They didn't just decide to go on a ship and go for a joy ride. They were doing the will of Jesus, weren't they? So these are some unspoken questions, but they're obvious questions that he asks his disciples. And he says, the most important one, he says, if I can sleep through this as a man in that ship, yes, I'm Lord, I can speak and everything can be calm, but I prefer to sleep. And if I can sleep, so can you. Because even though he's the Lord of heaven, he is also an example on earth. I'll show you something. Go to 2 Corinthians. You can leave this now. Go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, for which cause we faint not. We don't quit. We don't give up. But though our outward man perish, or our outward man dies, yet the inward man, that's the invisible you, that's your soul, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's a trouble that you're in now, whatever trouble, problems, pressures, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, like our storms, but instead we look at the things which are not seen, like Jesus. But the things which are seen are only temporal. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen right now are eternal. Now Jesus is teaching us about rest and the ability that even though our outward man may be dying, even though every penny is being drained out of our bank account, even though every plan and every scheme and every effort is failing and falling apart, our inward man is thriving. That's the kind of rest we need to find. Let's go on. <clears throat> All right, that's you on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. Let me say, first of all, there is a danger in not resting. To rest is necessary for sanity and for life. You got you to rest. You got to sleep. You got to take time to do nothing or else your health will quickly deteriorate. Uh, you um, people go all night without sleep for one or two days, like you're cramming for an exam. And but after that, you go two, three nights without sleeping, you will collapse. People can face stress and carry problems for a few days, a few weeks, but you go a few months and your hair turns gray, falls out. I'm looking at Tunde. <clears throat> um, <laughs> You face, I'm not saying he had stress, I don't know, but anyway, uh, your health will deteriorate. Every parent knows your children need rest. They got to go to sleep. I mean, what is a parent's favorite time? Nap time, amen. <laughs> if that kid needs hours of rest and sleep, teenagers need rest as they go through growth spurts. Without rest, your health breaks down. There is a danger in not resting. You'll quit going against the flow. The age we're living in is designed to wear people down, 
So they just go with the flow, Brother Dan. The reason why people sit in front of that television and they're programmed to sit there and take all of that stress and all of that worry, the reason why that's going on is to make it so that they don't fight anymore and go a different beat, go for a different beat, go a different direction, live differently. Because we're tired, we're worn out. I just, I just give up. I don't want to go against the flow anymore. I don't want to try to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I don't want to carry any gospel tracts. I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. I don't even want to go to church anymore. You know why? Because the world has worn you down and you quit going against the flow. You'll end up angry at God and everyone around you. All you'll do is blame and fight. By the way, one of the greatest examples of somebody under stress was a man named Job. You think that Job... You know, when he lost everything, it was over. No, no, no. Oh, man. Then his wife spoke. <laughs> and then his friends came. And even though he'd answer them, they had another answer to tear him down. Even though he'd respond, they would just... Re- and he just said, you're miserable comforters. In that stress and in that situation, all he got was attacked and blamed, and accused, and he wore him down. It was killing him. You know what he wanted to do through all of that? He wanted to die. He got angry at God, and he said, God, wait a minute. We need to have a talk. This isn't fair. And you read him, and he wants to debate God. Guess what? That's stupid. (laughs) You think you can convince God you're right and he's wrong? You get angry at God. When you're just not resting. Ultimately, you'll die. Scientists have never been able to figure out why we need sleep. They don't know why we need sleep. They just know you'll go crazy and then die if you don't. (laughs) That's all they know, man. Now, there's a purpose in unrest. It's already implied. Look at Isaiah 57. Go to the left. Find Isaiah 57. There's a purpose for unrest, a good purpose in unrest, to reveal some things. Isaiah 57 and verse 20. Isaiah 57 and verse 20. It's the hallmark. Unrest is the hallmark. It is the illustration of what it's like to live without God. Now, many Christians live without rest. And what you're doing is you're living like you're without God. Look at Isaiah 53, I'm sorry, 57 and verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. Where did that come from? That's just like that storm that Jesus and disciples were in. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You see, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Now, you can have false sense of rest, a false sense of security for a while. You can have a lot of money to buy out your problems, fix your problems. You know, your car breaks down, you just buy a new one, you know. I read of a guy who hated to fix cars. So he always bought old ones, junkers. This is down south, this is in Alabama. He would buy a junker for about $50 and drive it till it died, then he'd leave it. <laughs> Walk home, catch a bus, and then buy another one. That's how, that's how he lived, man. But, you know, you've got to have money to do that. And you've got to have good legs and all that kind of stupidity. People get a full sense of rest and security when they got money. But, you know, when people are honest, even though they got money, they are not at rest. They can't sleep. 
Man, you know what? If, you, if you're not saved this morning, if you're sitting in this church and you're listening to me preach every week and begging you to get born again and humble yourself and trust Jesus Christ alone, and you sit in church and you're doing okay and everything seems to be fine, I'm going to tell you this. The only reason why you're not as the miry and the troubled sea right now is because you've got a godly wife praying for you. Or you've got a godly husband praying for you. Or you've got a pastor praying for you and praying over you and begging God to give you another chance. Because if all those prayers stopped, you would go down. You better look around and go, the only reason why I've got any good in my life is because God is being good to me. Not because you're just, I don't need God. No, the troubled sea is the picture of somebody who doesn't have God. Now, who struggles with unrest? Now, I just want to be real, real plain with you. Every one of us. Pastor, you get unrested. You, you, you deal with stress. You, you panic sometimes. There's only one person who didn't panic. Look at, uh, go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and verse 18. Quoting from the Old Testament, Matthew quotes about Jesus. He says, Matthew 12, verse 18, Behold my servant, speaking of Jesus, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. This is how God talks about his son. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment, we'd say justice, to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, nor cry, as if to cry out with fear. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets, as if he's panicking, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. There's only one person who can walk through life and with everything else against him. He never, he never screamed out. He never gave out. He never uh, uh, reacted wrongly. I mean, he's walking. You ever walked on a floorboard that creaks? He wouldn't let it creak. Uh, smoking flax is one of these things where like an incense is burning up. And his presence, when he would go by, he, uh, he was so gentle, it wouldn't blow it out. There's only one person who didn't panic through every day of his life, and that was Jesus Christ. You know what the rest of us do? We panic. We, we freak out. Even the strongest and most uh, mature Christians panic and struggle with unrest. Go to Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse thirteen. <clears throat> Paul's worried about Titus, and I mean he's worried. Titus chapter two. Verse 13 says, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. He's going from city to city. He's going <clears throat> from place to place looking for one man and he's worried, he's panicking, he's normal. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. Still in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. For when we... We're coming to Macedonia. He finally gets to Macedonia. Our flesh had no what? All right, now I guarantee you, there was a rest on the inside, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But on our outside, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, and within were fears. 
Even the great apostle Paul struggled with panicking sometimes. Now, what does it mean to rest? Three things, real simple. It means to be quiet. You know, you know you're not resting when all you're doing is talking. You know, uh, somebody calls up 999, uh, the greatest gift to be able to listen to that person uh, who, who's panicking and something's wrong, somebody's in the house or whatever, you've got to listen. But at some point, the, the operator there, his answer's got to be able to give instructions. A lot of times we panic and we start, we start giving out, we start just ramaging and, and rambling on and we don't stop and go, I need to listen. I need to find out what I need to do. You see, to, to, to rest means to be quiet. It means to be able to sleep without fear, as we saw Jesus. It means to actually be able to breathe and be relaxed. What do they tell people, you know, when you're panicking? They say, breathe. <laughs> okay. You know, when God looks at a, at a storm in the ocean, he says, when that sea is troubled, it's not at rest. But when that sea is quiet and still, that's rest. Now, what's your heart and your life like? What's it like? I mean, by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what's your heart like? What's your life like? By the way, you're outside. Everything can be going wrong, but on the inside, you ought to be able to go, I found my pillow. It's going to be okay. Now, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 4, where we will spend the rest of our time, I want to show you how to find rest. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 says this. You know, when you get born again, you get eternal life. The gift of God is, not will be, but is eternal life. The moment you turn to Jesus Christ and realize you are lost without God, without hope in the world, and you cried out to him, he said, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. The moment that you believe that Jesus died for a sinner like you, and you accept the gift of God, you get it. But there's something else that God offers for you, and he gives it to you on a moment-by-moment basis. You ready? That's rest. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And I'd like you to find it, because... Uh, it is in our hearts to want to find rest. We want to be at rest. We want the kids to be asleep. We want the problems to go away. But few find it. So, <clears throat> let me get you into a mindset here. We'll start back in verse 1. and Let's look about missing the opportunity to find it. Verse 1. Let us therefore fear. This is what you should worry about. Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Everybody in this room needs to worry about whether you're going to ever find rest or not because if you never find rest, you will get bitter, angry, you will have health problems beyond compare, and you will die early. Now rest, real rest is a fleeting thing. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's like a vapor. You can't hold it, hold on to it, you can't buy it, you can't sell it, you can't grab it, claim it, or store it away for rainy days. It is rest is a moment by moment reality that can be missed. Now, if you don't learn to rest, you'll become more and more a slave to stress and fear and anger. It's just the truth. And that's why Paul says you need to worry about missing out on the rest that God gives his people. Secondly, you need to start believing the Bible you hold in your hand. 
As I said over and over, the worst thing is to go to a Bible-believing church and not believe your Bible. Not read your Bible, not know the contents of this book. Did you know the Bible was written not just to inform you, but to comfort and put you at ease? Hmm. This, uh, uh, this Bible ought to be your pillow. Can I tell you that? Now, when you were a child, you probably had a real pillow that you carried with you everywhere. Did anybody have a real pillow or a, a security blanket? Is that allowed to be said? Or a teddy bear? <clears throat> well, I grew up and I got me a real pillow. I got me something that actually comforts, puts me at ease. You need to believe this book. You see, this is the kind of rest that only is for believers. Look at John 14, holding your place here. <clears throat> well, just, just stay in your place because I want to finish early. We've got a baby dedication just for me. John 14, 27 says this. Jesus promises, peace I leave with you. My key peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because I'll give you my peace. This is for believers. You can't find it in a pill bottle or in a, in a liquor bottle. So let me just say this. If you don't start to believe this Bible as it is written, I'm not talking about, well, I wish this was changed. I wish, I wish all the good stuff was highlighted so I could find it. <laughs> no, if you don't believe the Bible, then God promise, doesn't promise you any rest. You know who you are? You're on your own. God gave you a pillow and you won't use it. I find that the words of this book are actually usually rejected. Look at Isaiah. I need you to go to a couple of them. Keeping your place in Hebrews, look at Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28 and verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. This is where you'll find rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet, they would not hear. Cow. You know, you need to worry about sitting in church and sitting there and just looking at the pastor like, and missing everything I'm saying. Absolutely mind-boggling. Right there. He forewarns that people will listen and reject it. You know, uh, people end up in psychologists' offices, psychiatrists' offices, doctors' offices, going constantly to the chemist and the bookstores, looking for the new self-help healing book when you've got one right in your lap. It's a funny thing, isn't it? And it's really wonderful to rest in God's promises. Look to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-two. You're looking for four Psalms. Book of Second Chronicles, chapter 32. Second Chronicles, chapter 32, start in verse 1, says this. Second Chronicles. If you're in Corinthians, give up. <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles. Chapter 32, verse 1. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. There was a king named Sennacherib 
who was coming against Israel and started to take over cities. Look down at verse 6. He comes to Jerusalem, surrounds Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem are starting to go hungry. They're starting to struggle with, how are we going to get out of this? We are surrounded by an army that wants our death. They want us to be defeated. Verse 6, the king, Hezekiah, he set captains of war over the people. And he gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city. He got everybody together and he spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Now they're looking around going, there's about 25,000 of us, and there's about 250,000 of them. Verse 8. With him, Hezekiah continues, with Sennacherib, our enemy, is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people, what's the next word? They rested, they quieted themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know, what was the difference? Two men standing there, one listening to Hezekiah, one of them can go, don't believe it, and he'll panic. The other one says, you know, the Lord is with us. He does fight our battles. He has brought us to this place, and we will trust in him. And they rested. Words, if they're believed can bring rest to your heart. Learn how to rest in his promises. Do you even know some of the promises? It requires you to stay on the old paths. I I have a lot to say, but I I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 9, back chapter 6, because I'm getting really tired of um, the modern church, the modern Christianity. Jeremiah, if you will, chapter 6, that is pretty well thrown. There are churches right now that are signing themselves up to a registry of gay-friendly congregations. That hurts to even say. There are openly gay ministerettes. That's not even fair to call them that in the value. You know what everybody's looking for? New things, new ways, new music, new Bibles, new environments. Going to a church and it's, it's darker inside the church than it is outside. Run! Amen. That's a ploy to get your money. That's a ploy to get you to experience instead of truly worship God. Are you mad? You haven't seen me mad. Because I've been in churches with my son Joel. We were trying to find him a good church. We went into a church. It was a Baptist church. We went in and there were all these nice people just like Eric and just like Dean and and uh, David, we got up there, and they're, they're all old folks, by the way. And they all got up there, just like Dean, anyway. They, they got up there, shook their hands, welcome, come on in. And they opened the door to the auditorium, and it was pitch black. The lights were flaring on the main um, uh, stage there. The people singing, everybody swaying. And my and my wife and family walked back out. And those people, well, what's wrong? That I don't want to be where the devil is. Amen. Amen. What's all that got to do with anything? Look what the Bible says about where to find rest. You're not going to find rest in there. You'll come out with a heart attack. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways. Look at all the different options and see. And ask for the old path. Where's the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find what? Rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Sounds like he had 
people in his day just like we do today. All the new things won't give rest, man. Say, Pastor, I wish you'd get hip and get with the new music. You know, people look for new toys, new gimmicks. You know, it took me a long time before I finally put a digital projector up here. I used to, how many of you remember when I used to put acetates up here, the, the, uh, the, the sheets, the A4 sheets of clear plastic put up there? I thought I was almost sinning against God using technology in church, you know. <laughs> I'm just slow to do that. You know, all these new things may be entertaining, a lot of fun, and actually a lot of easier to work with than the old ways. I find you can do a lot of cool things with an iPhone or a Samsung. You can have a lot of fun with an Xbox. And I'm telling you, they got these self-driving cars now. Sounds cool. Don't get me in it. I want to live. I don't trust those things, man. But there's very little rest today. Have you noticed there's very little rest? You know where the rest is? It's where mama loves daddy, the old way. Like daddy, when daddy loves mama, the old ways. When kids play in the dirt and they climb trees. When people fear God and him alone instead of terrorists and politicians. <laughs> you know, people are afraid of policemen today. People are afraid of Garda. They're afraid of, uh, listen, don't you worry about them. You worry, better worry about fearing God. You want to have rest? Fear God. When everyone, you know, there is rest. When everybody goes to church and hears a man preach hellfire and brimstone, raises his voice, gets upset, and you go, hey man, I can trust it. I can trust a place like this because he's not mad at you. He's mad at sin. Amen. There's rest when people serve one another again, take care of each other instead of relying on the state and the government to do it all. We should take care of one another. Amen. You want to have rest? Go back to the old ways. Let's get back to the biblical ways of living and serving one another and worshiping God. Go back to, that was just my soapbox for a moment. I'm sorry, I had to go. You'll find rest there. I could stay there for a long while too, by the way. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 3. Next thing you need to do, you need to enter into that rest. You need to enter into that rest. Chapter 4, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Just stop right there. Enter into it? What that means is to get all the way into it. You know, it's no good to have a home and have a bed and have a pillow and not, not go into the bedroom and lay down, switch everything off, unplug everything, and take a rest. God has a rest for you and you're sitting in front of the television at 2 in the morning. Oh, yeah. God has a rest for you, and you're panicking, you're worrying about every penny, you're worrying about all the problems, and the Lord says, time to rest. We which believe do enter into rest. Make sure you enter into it. Make it a part of your life. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Still holding your place there in Luke. Go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. Look at verse 30, it says this, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus. Mark 6, 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things that they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place 
and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. There needs to be time where you come away for everything. The disciples had been overworked, and Jesus knew it. He says, it's not, and somebody once said it this way, you need to come apart before you come apart. That's what holidays used to be for, weren't they? You'd have a holiday, and you're supposed to rest. It takes more effort to go on a holiday. You can't wait to get home so that you can get back to normal and, and, and put up with normal stress, amen? Ladies and gentlemen, you know, when we have a Bible camp, you know what we're doing with kids? We're getting them away from their friends and from their, their culture and from their problems, and they're coming apart so they can spend time with Jesus and find rest. You know, when we have a youth camp or a men's camp or a ladies' getaway or something, you know what you're doing? You're doing what Jesus said. You're making determined times to go away before you fall apart. It's funny how most people turn to Zen meditation and mindfulness meditation, Hindu mantra meditation, transcendental meditation, yoga meditation, and Taoist meditations. But they've never discovered the wonder of just sitting and pondering the goodness of God. And just looking out on a, on a, that's why I think everybody, especially every guy, ought to just have a fishing pole and, and just go fishing. Forget the worms. Just look out of the water and, and rest. Rest. Another thing, if you're going to enter into God's rest, you need to have a Sabbath rest. Now, I don't have time, but uh, there in Hebrews chapter 4, over and over, Paul uses the term about the sixth day and the seventh day, having a Sabbath rest. Now, I'm going to quote this guy, and he's a rabbi, but he said this, a guy named Abraham Herschel. Heschel, sorry. He said, he who wants to enter into the holiness of the Sabbath day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked or tied to toil. He must say farewell to manual work, and for that one day, learn to understand that the world's already been created and will survive without your help. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, bringing profit from the earth. But on the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity that we have planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we should seek to dominate the world, but on the seventh day, we should try to dominate the self. You need to have a day where you do nothing. Work six days, and on the seventh, rest. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 30, the Bible says, so the people rested on the seventh day. It's actually one of the commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Six days may be worked, may, uh, may work, six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work on the Sabbath day, now watch this, he shall surely be put to death. Now I'm kind of grateful that the, that the punishment for breaking the Old Testament Sabbath has been done away, but did you know the effects are still true? If you work seven days a week and you don't take a break, and you don't stop and, and worship God and just Rest, you'll die. The effect is the same. You know what the French did? The French are the ones that gave us our, our decimal system. Kilometers and meters and all this stuff. Well, they tried to do it with time and with weeks. And 
They hated the Bible. Let me just be very clear. During, the, during Bastille Day and all this stuff that they just celebrated, the, uh, the French decided we're going to get rid of the seven-day work week, and they made it into ten days, Brother Dan. They called it day number one, day number two, day number three. Number, I can't speak French, so that's it. All the way to day number ten. And they divided up the year into decades of tens, and every month was three decades of ten. And so everybody had to work nine days and rest on the tenth. And they tried to get rid of the seven-day work week. You know what? Napoleon, about 30 years later, came up and he saw the people worn out. He saw that all the scientific advances that they had thought that they would made by redoing everything and getting rid of the church and getting rid of Christianity and stuff, he saw the people worn out and they were dying because they worked nine days and then on the tenth rest, you weren't designed for that, folks. And Napoleon Bonaparte got rid of the ten-day week and he returned it back to the biblical seven days. That's the fact. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich shall not suffer him to sleep. You know, you're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to have a job. You're supposed to make money. You're supposed to do all that. But you need to rest. Now, you don't have to have it on Saturday. The Sabbath no longer is Saturday only. Should be Sunday. You should have very little going on on a Sunday. It's okay to have, we're going to have baby dedication. Great to have family over. But you know what you need to do on a Sunday? Worship God. Spend time with family. Have a day where you're not on the job, where you're not under pressure. But if you can't, now guess what? My worst day is, my busiest day, guess what day it is? Sunday. Can't be my day of rest. My day is Monday. That's my Sabbath. Everybody needs a Sabbath. You need to work hard. It's the right thing to do. You can't just sleep and rest all day and every day, six days a week, and then on the seventh go to church. You work hard, and then you find that you can rest a whole lot better when you do. But here's the last part. Proverbs 29. Look at Proverbs chapter 29. Psalms, then comes Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17. Discipline your life. Discipline means bring it under control. Proverbs 29, 17. Great principle here says this. Correct thy son and he shall give thee what? Do not let your kid run the house. Don't let him tell mama what to do. Don't let him tell you what to do. Don't let your child scream and, and, and cry and demand at the shop and make an embarrassment to you. You'll be in charge. If you let that child run you, you will never have rest. Amen? Now, if you believe that a child should be under control, you need to believe that you need to be under control. Personal discipline brings rest. If you correct things, he shall bring delight unto thy soul, and you shall have rest. There are so many undisciplined thoughts in people today. So many undisciplined imaginations. People don't seek to control what they watch on television. They don't care what they say out of their mouth. They don't care where they go. They don't care what they think. I wouldn't want to be a young lady looking for a husband today because I wouldn't know what they're thinking. I wouldn't know what guys are thinking, the kind of stuff that's on their phones. Amen, amen, and amen. It's a shame. The kind of dangerous stuff that is, is not just out there, it's in everybody's homes and in their phones. Stuff they don't care about. 
You don't care the kind of violence you put yourself into in the television. Now you can't just go watch it on television. You go to the cinema and they've got 87 speakers vibrating the entire room. And you come out going, wow, that was epic. <laughs> and then you can't sleep at night. Undisciplined eating habits. No wonder there's very little Christian rest, man. Most people want a pill. They want some magic to happen. It says, well, just pray for me, pastor, so I get some sleep. I'll pray for you. But you're going to have to shut off the TV. You're going to have to get rid of the smartphone. You're going to have to dump some friends. And you're going to have to discipline your life. Amen? Well, that doesn't sound very fun. Go on. Go to your pills. Go to the psychiatrist. They want your money. Back to Hebrews chapter 4. Here's the biggest point. Well, second biggest point. You're going to enter into God's rest, you're going to have to do it with a soft heart because only a soft heart experiences rest. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Again, God limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, speaking of when Israel came out of Egypt, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, what are the next four words? Harden not your hearts. I find that, that only those who have a soft heart experience rest. He repeats it, chapter 3 and verse 8. Go back one chapter, go to chapter 3 and verse 8. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the time of provoking. Look at verse 15. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He keep, I mean, when something's repeated, that means it's serious. Only a soft heart experiences rest. Yeah. Life stinks. And, and life has a way of just making us hard, stubborn, stiff. But in the end, you know what? It's us who hardens our hearts. He didn't say, don't let that person harden your heart. God didn't say, don't let that boss make you upset. You know what the Bible says? Don't you harden your heart. You know why? Because you'll never enter into rest. You'll never be able to rest. Too many, there are so many angry people, so many hard people, so many unforgiving people, and they'll never know rest. And I'm dealing with Christians. God promises in one of the most amazing verses, He says, in returning, that's repentance, and in rest, you shall be saved. Wow. If I just turn and go back to God, I'll find rest and He forgives. I find salvation. So don't stay away from God. Don't stay hard and don't stay stiff unless you want to stay on your pills. Lastly, find it all in Christ. Two places I need you to go. Holding your place still in the Hebrews, go to Matthew chapter 11 first. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Matthew 11 and verse 28 says this. You'll find it all in Christ. That's why you're not going to find rest coming to church. That's why, Brother Dan, people try to pick up the Bible, they try to read it, and they go, I'm not at rest. Because you're not believing the author, and you're not looking under the author, and you're not believing in His Son. Because the rest comes from Him. People treat the Bible like a good luck charm. They treat church like it's a car wash. It doesn't work that way, folks. You must go to Christ. 
You can't get saved. You can never know rest without Him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that wonderful? I, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Okay, maybe in your body, maybe you're stressed out, maybe the problems are still on you, maybe the storm is still blowing, but you will find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy. And compared to the world, my burden is light. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and try to wrap this thing up. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And it's not easy. I'm skipping a lot of stuff. I wish I could take the time. Verse 11 says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You can miss out what I'm saying. If you don't pay attention, if you don't decide, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to discipline my mouth. I'm going to discipline my thoughts. I'm going to get my sleeping habits, my eating habits, my reacting habits under the dominion of the Lordship of Christ. Well, that's labor. But look there in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our faith, our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he knows what it feels like. He's been tempted. He knows what it's like, but he never sinned. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's the point. You've got to come unto Jesus Christ. I, this, is, this is where religions get down and, and get personal. You say... What are you talking about? I'm talking about most people would gladly go to church. They'll come to church. Some people even pick up a gospel leaflet and read it. Some people will, 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 will uh, pray a prayer. They'll, they'll give to some cause. All of those things. But they never will bow themselves and humble themselves and talk to Jesus Christ like he's alive. And look to him and say, God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, forgive me and wash me. Make me your child. You're going to have to do that one day. If you don't do it now, you will stand before him and beg for the chance again, and it will not come. Why do that? Because it's the only kind of rest that will renew you every day. We already read that. We already read where Paul says, our outward man may perish, but our inward man is renewed, how often? Day by day. Moses was really freaked out, stressed out, burned out, worn out, what else? And, uh, stressed out. He says, Lord... I, I need something. The Lord said, I'll be right there. And the Lord showed up in his presence, gave Moses rest. When was the last time you just sat down on the side of your bed or you sat down with an open Bible and, and, you, and you closed the door and you closed your eyes and you said, Lord, I need you. He gives you rest, just his very presence. You see, why would you go to anyone else? Mary cannot give you rest. Dr. Phil cannot give you rest. Science, pills, counseling will never give you lasting rest. People actually believe science all the answers. I'm debating somebody right now who says, well, one of these days science is going to figure out how life got here. One of these days science is going to figure out how the universe got here. One of these days science is going to come up with the answers to all our problems. And I said, you're living on drugs. You will die and go to a devil's hell, 
hoping that science is going to come up with an answer. And that's a shame. Jesus is the answer. He already gave it. You've got to go to him. You're just too proud to admit it. And that's when you'll find real rest. You see, this crowd of people here, you know what they were called? Christians. Like, just like Christ. So people gathered up by the tens of thousands in the Colosseums all across Europe. Romans called them circuses. Gave them free bread. Gave them flagons of wine. Sat them down there and for hours they entertained them by burning people alive. And by turning loose lions and tigers and bears to devour Christians. You know what the Christians did? They sang. You know what some of those Christians did? They stood up and they began to give their testimony. They talked about, I once was lost. I once sat where you sat, mocking Christians. But now I am one. And I love my risen Savior. And I can't wait to see Him. Today is the day! As they let loose those, those animals. Those men, those women had rest. Now they did not want to die. But they were ready. They could go to sleep on a pillow, folks. You know what the Bible says death is to the Christian? You ready to be freaked out? It says it's like falling asleep. Amen. You know what? If you're unsaved, you know what death is for you? It is an end that never ends. It is a screaming, writhing, agonizing, tormenting death that never is finished. And you walk into it, and if people aren't drugged up to the top, if they didn't have morphine coming out of their toes, if they weren't all drugged up, if they're unsafe like they used to, they'd be screaming, I'm in hell! I'm in hell! Get me out of here! As they passed off into eternity. I don't want to go out like that. I got saved. I want to go out like that. Amen? You want to go out like that? Look unto Jesus. Listen to these words. It is vain for you to sleep. Sorry, no. <laughs> let me get to that. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he, God, giveth his beloved sleep. I think it's amazing the greatest invitations in the Bible are to those who are overwhelmed. It's not written to those who have it all and are under control, but those who have nothing. Jesus, well, God says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Why would you waste your money and time? Jesus said in John 7, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit. Folks, the greatest need is to come unto Jesus. You need rest. You need to look at your life. You need to wonder, am I believing God? Or am I believing my doctor? Am I believing God or am I looking under science? Do I even, do I even care what the Bible says and do I believe its promises? Do you ever look at your life and say, is the Lord even with me? Or am I just running ahead of God and ignoring God? You know what? The, the worst way to live is the way of the hypocrite. The way of the reprobate that acts like, smells like, walks like, talks like a Christian, but is as lost as the chair they're sitting in. I'm going to tell you, if there is anything you need this morning, 
It is to look at your own life and say, do I rest in the presence of Jesus? Or am I lost? You know, some of you, God's got a perfect will for your life. The worst thing to do is to fight it. When God put those, those fishermen into that ship, I guarantee you, can you, can, you, can you read between the lines for a second? I guarantee you, Peter looked up and he saw the storm clouds gathering. And I'm sure, as you're sitting there right now, I'm sure Peter debated, looks like a storm is coming, and he debated on whether to tell the Lord, Lord, you know, this, is, this isn't so smart, maybe we need to wait out this storm. But instead, Peter went ahead and got in the boat. Amen? Now the storm did come. You and I need to get to the place where you say, I just want to do the perfect will of God, even though the storm is coming. I just want to get in the ship, and if the ship sinks, I'll be okay. Because I'm going to do what God calls me to do. It's going to cost you, though. And it ought to cost you your entire Sunday. You need to have a day of rest. You need to quit thinking that two hours on a Sunday is resting. And then go to your games and go to the footballs and go to the, the activities and, and do everything on a Sunday you can't do on Monday. Listen, do all that stuff on a Saturday and on a Sunday. Be at church and be with family and do nothing but just ponder and think and worship on about God. It'll cost you your Sunday. It's going to cost you some time in the morning. I mean, Eric gets up at 7 in the morning on, when, on Monday and he finds a verse and he texts it to me and wakes me up first thing on Monday morning when I want to have my Sabbath rest. But you know what he's doing? He's resting. He's taking time with Jesus. He's making sure before he gets busy, he spends time with his pillow with the person that will give him rest. It will cost you all of your figuring out and your wit and your understanding and your intelligence saying, you know, Lord, this looks dangerous, but I'm going to trust you anyway. It's going to cost you just stepping back and saying, I'm going to go ahead and get in the boat. Just like we had to let go of 20 feet up in the air and just push off and let go. And your heart goes, well, your stomach goes into your throat. And you push off of that wall and that just brings you down gently like, like you're a baby. It'll cost you your stubbornness and arrogant pride in thinking you don't need to have a soft heart. Because if you want to have that rest, you're going to have to harden not your heart anymore. You're going to forgive somebody. You're going to have to deal with that. I'll tell you this. Whatever it costs you to labor, to have that rest, whatever it takes, I mean, where you just close the door, where you say, you know what? I, I've got to change my schedule. I've got to get my life of rest. Whatever it costs you to have a walk with Jesus is so little compared to the cost of living without it. Let's stand this bomb prayer. Father, I love you and I thank you for putting up with me and constantly offering times of rest. And I'm glad, God, you use extreme situations like a storm to show that, yes, you can put things at rest. You can bring great peace and calm on the outside, but you prefer to bring great peace and calm on the inside. Too many people want to come to church and get a magic wand wavered over them. They want somebody to pray over them, want somebody to say something magical over them, and they don't want to just get right with God. They don't want to just start doing things right and finding rest. In Jesus Christ, rest in reading and obeying their Bible. Rest in just praising God and worshiping Him. 
rest in just doing the old-fashioned thing. They want to do that. They want all the fancy show and they'll never find it. So here we are, Lord, right now. I ask that in our hearts we would be convicted. We'd be honest and say, storms are blowing around me. Lord, the ship is okay when it's in the water. It's not okay when the water's in the ship. And we're not only in troubles, the troubles are in us. And I beg of you, God, calm the storms in the hearts this morning. Speak peace in some troubled homes, troubled minds, panicky feelings. Let us find that renewing day by day. But we've got to want it. We've got to know where to find it. I, I, we need to want to, to have a rest that no longer frets or worries or panics. doesn't seem possible. But we've seen today it is. doesn't seem like it's even conceivable. But you took the time to give us all these things so that we would want it and we could have it. We not only, Lord, want to find it, I pray that we would experience it. We need to. For the sake of the next generation, Christianity is dying, Christianity is hurting, Christianity is being beat up, and it, that's how it's always been, but we're letting the world beat us up on the inside, and that's got to be fixed. And in this room, there are people who are like the troubled sea that cannot rest, the ungodly, the wicked, the unsaved. On the outside, they may look fine, but on the inside, they are as lost and hell bound, and now this morning they need to get saved. If only they look in their heart, do an inventory, and say, honestly, I'm a mess. I need Jesus Christ. May they cry out to you today, and believe only in you, and be born again. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.